Nothanger Abbey by Jane Austen, Volume 2, Chapter 1. Quick apology for the sound this time. You can hear snoring in the background, I think, through some of this. That's my dog. I apparently was putting her to sleep. Please ignore and enjoy the rest of this. Volume 1 of Northanger Abbey Recap We met Catherine Moreland. She's 17. She's very naive. Lives in the middle of nowhere. Gets to go on vacation with Mr. and Mrs. Allen and they go to Bath. And in Bath they wander around for a while. They don't know anyone. It's very sad. Until she runs into Mr. Tilney and they dance and talk and flirt and she has a big old crush on him before he disappears off the face of the earth and she can't find him anywhere. But instead they run into Mrs. Thorpe and her three daughters Isabel is the oldest, and they become instant best friends. Still can't find Mr. Tilney anywhere. Very mysterious. Isabella and Catherine continue to be good friends, reading novels together. Isabella is super boy crazy, and Catherine doesn't understand a lot of what she says. A lot of what Isabella says goes right over Catherine's head because of how naive she is. Then the brothers show up. James Moreland, Catherine's oldest brother, and Mr. John Thorpe. Isabella's older brother both show up. They're both going to university together. Mr. Thorpe is clearly the worst right off the bat, commenting on people, every woman's face that walks by. It's very disconcerting. James and Isabella are immediately a thing, and Catherine, yet again, does not notice, and Mr. Thorpe asks her to dance. Mr. Tilney then reappears with his sister, Miss Tilney, and the Thorpes continue to be the worst, and because Mr. Thorpe had already asked her to dance, she misses out on a chance to dance with Mr. Tilney again. Very, very sad. Then she goes on a carriage ride with Mr. Thorpe, Isabella Thorpe, and her brother James. And Mr. Thorpe is again the worst, and she begins to think that maybe he's not agreeable, and he's not a great guy. She's finally starting to get it. She goes to another dance where she gets to dance with Mr. Tilney again. Very exciting, cute and flirty. We love it. They set up a walk for the next day with Miss Tilney and Mr. Tilney, but it rains. And then the Thorpe show up with the carriages again and they convince her to go with them in the carriages by lying to her about the Tilneys. And so they convince her to basically blow off the Tilneys in their walk, and it really upsets Catherine. She's very unhappy about it. And now she's kind of decided in her idea that Mr. Thorpe doesn't seem to be the nicest guy. She tries to make it up to them. She finds Mr. Tilney the next day at a play and apologizes and seems to have made everything better. And the general seems like he likes her. That's according to Mr. Thorpe. Who knows? She sets up the walk with the Tilneys again, and again the Thorpes try to get her to blow off the Tilneys, and she refuses. Mr. Thorpe goes as far as to go lie to Miss Tilney that he has a message from Catherine, that she doesn't want to go on the walk with them the next day, that she's going to have to put it off another day. And when he tells Catherine that he did that, she gets very upset. She runs after and makes things right with the Tilneys and makes sure that they are going to go on their walk the next day and makes the Thorpes and her brother kind of mad at her. She does actually get to go on that walk with the Tilneys yet again. She has a really great time. She really likes Miss Tilney and she really, really likes Mr. Tilney. Again, flirty and cute. Love to see it. And then the ball drops on Catherine. James and Isabella become engaged and she is the only one who's surprised by this news. Everyone else has seen that they were an item from the get-go. Even Mr. and Mrs. Allen have already noticed that this is a thing. Catherine's the only one who didn't get it. But she's really excited about it. And that is the end of the first volume. And now we move on to volume two, chapter one. Catherine's expectations of pleasure from her visit in Milsom Street were so very high that disappointment was inevitable, 
and accordingly, though she was most politely received by General Tilney and kindly welcomed by his daughter, though Henry was at home and no one else of the party, she found on her return, without spending many hours in the examination of her feelings, that she had gone to her appointment preparing for happiness which it had not afforded. Instead of finding herself improved in acquaintance with Miss Tilney, from the intercourse of the day, she seemed hardly so intimate with her as before. Instead of seeing Henry Tilney to greater advantage than ever, in the ease of a family party, he had never said so little, nor been so little agreeable. And, in spite of their father's great civilities to her, in spite of his thanks, invitations, and compliments, it had been a release to get away from him. It puzzled her to account for it all. It could not be General Tilney's fault. That he was perfectly agreeable and good-natured, and altogether a very charming man, did not admit of a doubt, for he was tall and handsome, and Henry's father. He could not be accountable for his children's want of spirits, or for her want of enjoyment in his company. The former, she hoped, at last, might have been accidental, and the latter she could only attribute to her own stupidity. Isabella, on hearing the particulars of the visit, gave a different explanation. It was all pride, pride, insufferable haughtiness and pride. She had long suspected the family to be very high, and this made it certain. Such insolence of behavior as Miss Tilney's she had never heard of in her life, not to do the honors of her house with common good breeding, to behave to her guest with such superciliousness, hardly even to speak to her. But it was not so bad as all that, Isabella. There was no superciliousness. She was very civil. Oh, don't defend her. And then the brother, he, who had appeared so attached to you. Good heavens. Well, some people's feelings are incomprehensible. And so he hardly looked once at you the whole day. I do not say so, but he did not seem in good spirits. How contemptible! Of all things in the world, inconsistency is my aversion. Let me entreat you never to think of him again, my dear Catherine. Indeed, he is unworthy of you. Unworthy? I do not suppose he ever thinks of me. That is exactly what I say. He never thinks of you. Such fickleness! Oh, how different your brother and to mine! I really believe John has the most constant heart. But as for General Tilney, I assure you it would be impossible for anybody to behave to me with greater civility and attention. It seemed to be his only care to entertain and make me happy. Oh, I know no harm of him. I do not suspect him of pride. I believe he is a very gentlemanlike man. John thinks very well of him, and John's judgment. We shall see how they behave to me this evening. We shall meet them at the rooms. And must I go? Do you not intend it? I thought it was all settled. Nay, since you make such a point of it, I can refuse you nothing, but do not insist upon my being very agreeable, for my heart, you know, will be some forty miles off. And as for dancing, do not mention it, I beg. That is quite out of the question. Charles Hodges will plague me to death, I dare say, but I shall cut him very short. Ten to one, but he guesses the reason, and that is exactly what I want to avoid, so I shall insist on his keeping his conjecture to himself. And so chapter one of volume two begins with Catherine having her anticipated day with the Tilneys at their, at their home in Bath. And everyone seems very friendly, but Catherine's not getting a good vibe from them, is what I'm taking from this. Miss Tilney's very polite, says the right things, but doesn't seem as open as friendly as usual. Kind of same as Henry. He's also there, but he's not his flirty, charming self. He seems very subdued and quiet. The general is very nice to her and pleasing and like complimenting her, but even that just doesn't feel right. It feels weird to her and she can't say why. She's not, so she's just getting very bad vibes from the family party is what I'm interpreting this to mean. And she doesn't understand why there would be that way. She says that it had been a release to get away from the general, but that puzzles her because it couldn't be the general's fault. And she just, this, 
It says that he could not be accountable for his children's want of spirit. So she just can't get why his kids are so different around him. And she is willfully refuses to believe that it could be anything in the general. And his relationship with his own children. And so she's saying, she comes to the conclusion that his children's change in their behavior must be accidental, and that the reason that she didn't particularly enjoy the general's company must be her own stupidity. So she's very much taking it upon herself and refusing to think that the general might be at fault for any of the weirdness that she's noting in the family. And I think this is a place where we as the reader are not supposed to quite agree with Catherine. I think we've gotten enough hints by now that there's something off with the relationship with the general and his kids from this. I think we're supposed to take that meaning. Um, what exactly it is or how it's happening, I don't think we know yet. But I don't think I can agree with Catherine that it's just her being stupid for her not enjoying the general's company. I think there must be something there. Like, we, I think we're supposed to be getting that there's something off about the general. Even though he's coming off as overtly polite to her. And maybe even we're supposed to question why is he being so overly polite to her. Um, when he doesn't seem to be... Well, actually, I don't think we've seen him in company with other people. We don't know what he's generally like. But is he being super nice to Catherine because he's always just super nice to people? Or is there a specific reason that he's being super nice to Catherine? I don't think we know that yet, but it's something to watch for. But in any case, Catherine takes it all on herself that she must have been the problem. She's the reason that this whole family dinner thing didn't go very well. And when she's talking to Isabella later about it, Isabella just goes off about the family being so proud and obnoxious, basically, that she's long suspected the family to be very high, which I'm going to say is arrogant and rude and thinks too well of themselves. And she's calling Miss Tilney's behavior insolent and saying that she was acting with such superciliousness and Catherine has to kind of rein Isabella back in and say, no, she was very civil. It wasn't that bad. To which Isabella's like, don't defend her and her brother who appeared to be so attached to you. But he hardly looked at you the whole day. And again, Catherine's like, I didn't say that, but he didn't seem to be in good spirits. And I thought it was a really weird way that Isabella came back from that. So she says, so Catherine just says that he didn't seem to be in good spirits. And Isabella's first thing is, how contemptible. What, how contemptible not to be in good spirits? Because Isabella's frequently seems to not be in good spirits. So, like, it's just, it makes sense for her because Isabella's obviously trying to make Catherine think ill of the Tilneys. She's, she doesn't want Catherine to like the Tilneys, and that's very, very clear. Um, but what she's saying doesn't make a lot of sense. So she's trying to manipulate Catherine, but I don't think she's very good at it. Because the thing she says there with, like, saying that Henry not being in good spirits that day is contemptible. That doesn't make any sense. Somebody's allowed to be upset for the day. You don't know why they're upset or anything. But, like, to say that somebody not being in good spirits is contemptible, just... It's just not a good critique of his character, in my opinion. And so then she says that he's inconsistent and that inconsistency is my aversion, which I highlight as a funny quote because I think Isabella is pretty inconsistent in how she behaves because she wants to, well, she's consistent in that she always behaves with whatever she wants at the moment, but she's inconsistent in general, in my opinion. And she says that Henry is unworthy of Catherine. Which Catherine, again, has to stop back and say, Unworthy? I don't even think he thinks of me. And she, and Isabella jumps on it. That's exactly what I think. He doesn't think of you at all. And such fickleness. Oh, how different to your brother and to mine. I really believe John has the most constant heart. So again, she's trying to get Catherine to stop thinking about Mr. Tilney and like John instead. But 
her manipulation A isn't very good. She's trying it, but it's not she's not very good at it. I don't think and also it's going right over Catherine's head. Catherine doesn't get what she's trying to hint to her about this whole situation either. But Catherine goes on just saying it would have been impossible for the general to behave with greater civility and attention. And it seemed his only care to entertain and make me happy. Which is interesting because she's saying that about the general, but the, you know, a few paragraphs before, it was clear that she was uncomfortable with him. So I am getting the impression and the picture in my hand, in my head, that his civility and his very charmingness is coming off as smarmy. It's coming off as kind of oily or fake with a purpose. It doesn't, it's not coming off in a way that Catherine likes. Because the few times we've seen Catherine have this kind of reaction to people, it's been to the Thorpes. And it's been when they are being insincere. It's been when they are not acting well. So the, the fact that Catherine is having this instant reaction to the general, where she can't figure out what it is, but she doesn't like it, makes me think that he's coming off as kind of like a used car salesman vibe of being super polite and nice and complimentary but her without being able to really express it or understand what it is she's feeling Catherine is somehow catching that she doesn't like it and I think that even this is a little bit of growth on her part that she can't describe it she can't even understand it or accept it herself but she has at least noted it and we as the readers, I think, can note it much more than Catherine does, that there's something off about the general. But Isabella is fine with her liking the general and says that John thinks very well of him. And she's again trying to get Catherine back on the, con on the topic of John. But, Isabe or, but Catherine breaks into the conversation, breaks into what Isabella is saying about John, and just goes on with saying, well, we'll have to see how they behave to me this evening. I'll see them at the room. So there's, they're going to see him at the ball tonight. And that's when Isabella says, and must I go? And Catherine says, do you not intend it? I thought it was all settled. And then Isabella acts like Catherine has like begged her into going to the ball and saying, since you make such a point of it and I can refuse you nothing. And she goes on and on about how she's not going to be agreeable and she's not going to dance and she just, because her, her heart is 40 miles off. But I think of note, what you have to watch very closely there is that Catherine didn't even ask her to go. Catherine just said, oh, you're not going to go? Or Catherine just says, don't you intend it? I thought it was all settled. And then Isabella goes off for a full paragraph of how, fine, since you insist, I'll go. But... Catherine didn't insist. So it's very clear Isabella wants to go to the ball. She just feels like she has to pretend she doesn't. And she feels like she needs to get Catherine to, like, force her, quote-unquote, to go. But it's very much not true. And we get another instance of Isabella's insincerity. Right after she's talking about how inconsistency is my aversion. I think that's part of that satire here going on that Jane Austen is so good at. We've got earlier in the same chapter, in my book, on the same page, we've got Isabella saying, inconsistency is my aversion. And then at the bottom, she's talking about, oh, I guess if you force me, if, you ha if I have to go, if you insist, I'll go to the ball. But I'm not going to enjoy myself and I'm not going to be very agreeable and I'm not going to dance and blah, 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 blah. It just comes off as very... Yet again, insincere. Isabella's opinion of the Tilneys did not influence her friend. She was sure there had been no insolence in the manners either of brother or sister, and she did not credit there being any pride in their hearts. The evening rewarded her confidence. She was met by one with the same kindness, and by the other with the same attention as heretofore. Miss Tilney took pains to be near her, and Henry asked her to dance. Having heard the day before in Milsom Street that their elder brother, Captain Tilney, was expected almost every hour, she was at no loss for the name of the very fashionable-looking handsome young man, whom she had never seen before, and who now evidently belonged to their party. She looked at him with great admiration and even supposed it possible that some people might think him handsomer than his brother, 
though in her eyes his air was more assuming, and his countenance less prepossessing. His taste and manners were beyond a doubt decidedly inferior, for, within her hearing, he not only protested against every thought of dancing himself, but even laughed openly at Henry for finding it possible. From the latter circumstance it may be presumed that, whatever might be our heroine's opinion of him, his admiration of her was not of a very dangerous kind, not likely to produce animosities between the brothers, nor persecutions to the lady. He cannot be the instigator of the three villains in horsemen's greatcoats, by whom she will hereafter be forced into a travelling chase and four, which will drive off with incredible speed. Catherine, meanwhile, undisturbed by presentiments of such an evil, or of any evil at all, except that of having but a short set to dance down, enjoyed her usual happiness with Henry Tilney, listening with sparkling eyes to everything he said, and, in finding him irresistible, becoming so herself. So we see very bluntly that Isabella's attempts at manipulation have not been successful. Catherine still wants to think of the Tilneys as she did before, and when she shows up to the ball, she very quickly finds out that she was correct, and that Miss Tilney and Henry are the same as they ever were before, so whatever happened with that dinner where their father was there must have been some sort of blip. Because it's not, it's not changing the way that they are behaving to her at the ball, which makes her very happy. She meets a new character, Captain Tilney, which is their elder brother. So we find out for sure that Mr. Tilney is the second son now. He's not the eldest son, he's the younger brother. And she knew that Captain Tilney was to be coming to town because they talked about it when she saw them the day before. And she looks at him in great, with great admiration and thought it's possible that some people might even think that he was more handsome than his brother. But through her eyes, it's just not the case. She still has a huge old crush on Henry Tilney and nobody can be better than that. I think that that's also interesting because it shows her personal bias for when we are first introduced to Henry Tilney way back when. Um, the narrator lets us know that he's not all that handsome. So I think we are to take from this, or what I take from this, is that Captain Tilney probably is more traditionally handsome than Henry, but Catherine prefers Henry anyway, either through familiarity or just because she likes him better. And those next sentences where she talks about how Henry definitely has better taste than his brother because Captain Tilney laughs at the idea of dancing and laughs at Henry for thinking that he could go dance at this place. And then we get a little bit of commentary from the narrator about the whole situation and saying that we can presume, therefore, that at least Captain Tilney doesn't seem to particularly like Catherine, whether Catherine likes him or not. And therefore, there's it's unlikely that there's going to be any sort of fighting between the brothers over her. And it's unlikely that he is going to be the instigator of the three villains on in horsemen's greatcoats by whom she will hereafter be forced into a traveling chase and four, and which will drive off with incredible speed. Honestly, doesn't really even fit. <laughs> I think it's just Jane Austen being a little snarky, that that's obviously what would happen to a heroine of a gothic novel. So she's kind of reminding us that, oh, by the way, I'm making fun of gothic novels, in case you've forgotten, by throwing that in there. But mm, I don't know if that is as successful, at least for me, that particular just bringing it up for that sentence and saying that and not linking it to anything because it's just the narrator coming in and saying that because Catherine doesn't even thinking about that because it says Catherine is undisturbed by presentiments of such an evil or any evil at all so it's not even that Catherine is thinking of something of the sort or anything it's just the narrator bringing it up and for I think the purpose is just to remind us, by the way, I'm making fun of gothic novels. Just remember that. And maybe that's necessary to in the first chapter of volume one, because this is be the first time in volume one that we're getting this. So when it was first published, you know, these would have been published as separate volumes. You might have read the first volume a while back and now just getting be getting volume two. Maybe you've forgotten that. 
and she and Jane Austen feels the need to remind us. I don't know, but that's the only purpose I can come up with for why that sentence is even existing here. Because Catherine is not thinking about it, and none of the other characters are either. It's just an aside from the narrator thrown in. In any case, Catherine is the only evil that Catherine is thinking of is that they've got a very short set to dance down, so there are not as many people dancing in their in their set as usual, and that's the only th the only rain on her parade is that the dance the line of dancers isn't particularly long, but she enjoyed her usual happiness with Henry Tilney. And I just love how this chapter or this paragraph ends where it says, listening with sparkling eyes to everything he said and in finding him irresistible, becoming so herself. So she is just so obvious that she's into him and thinks he's the best. And I think it's puffing him up a little bit. You know, it's nice to have somebody who's into you. I think there's a line in Pride and Prejudice that Charlotte says that I'm probably not going to get word for word because I do not have the book in front of me. But it's something that few of us have the... Something along the lines of few of us have the wherewithal to be in love without some encouragement. I know that's not the exact line, but she says something along those lines. That we need encouragement to fall in love. And it's a critique of Jane saying that Jane Bennett is not giving enough encouragement to Bingley. And so, you know... She needs to help him along and show more admiration even than she feels to make him fall to make Bingley fall in love with her. Um, and I get that's kind of the where my mind goes here is that Catherine is following that advice from Charlotte, but unintentionally. So she's not showing more affection than she feels. She feels this affection and she's just showing it blatantly. Which is not something that Jane Bennett did, because Jane Bennett, you know, is much more reserved than Catherine. But Catherine is just letting her love, like, shine out her eyes, letting her adoration show. And is doing so in such a way that is encouraging Henry to think favorably of her back. And I just, I, I don't know, that line, I just, I love it. And I think it's so true, and I agree with Charlotte's assessment in Pride and Prejudice that you know for somebody to fall in love like that it does help to have the encouragement of the other person and know that they are into you for you to want to be into them back it really helps get the ball rolling i think and that's what i what i'm taking this to mean and what Catherine is doing is that she is so obvious in her love for henry that she's getting henry to look at her more closely than he maybe would have otherwise because of all that encouragement that is so blatant. And it's hard for to have someone who is so into you, if you're even somewhat into them and you don't find them actively repulsive, if you're somewhat into somebody and they are into you so much back, it's just, it's causing him to look at her more favorably because it's so obvious that she loves him. And... It's very opposite of my personality, <laughs> but I think it's very true for Catherine, and I think it's sweet, and I like the line, and I think it's it feels very real, and it feels very real for someone so naive who doesn't know how to hide her feelings, and so she doesn't have any sort of wall or artifice up. She's just very open with, this is how I feel, and the world's going to get to know about it, and good for her. At the end of the first dance, Captain Tilney came towards them again and, much to Catherine's dissatisfaction, pulled his brother away. They retired, whispering together, and, though her delicate sensibility did not take immediate alarm and lay it down as fact that Captain Tilney must have learned some malevolent misrepresentation of her, which he now hastened to communicate to his brother in the hope of separating them forever. She could not have her partner conveyed from her sight without very uneasy sensations. Her suspense was of full five minutes' duration, and she was beginning to think it a very long quarter of an hour, when they both returned and an explanation was given, by Henry's requesting to know if she thought her friend, Miss Thorpe, would have any objection to dancing, as his brother would be most happy to be introduced to her. 
Catherine, without hesitation, replied that she was very sure Miss Thorpe did not mean to dance at all. This cruel reply was passed on to the other, and he immediately walked away. "'Your brother will not mind it, I know,' said she, "'because I heard him say before that he hated dancing, "'but it was very good-natured of him to think of it. "'I suppose he saw Isabella sitting down "'and fancied she might wish for a partner. "'But he is quite mistaken, "'for she should, would not dance upon any account in the world.' "'Henry smiled and said, "'How very little trouble it can give you "'to understand the motives of other people's actions.' "'Why, what do you mean? "'With you it is not how is such a one likely to be influenced.' What is the inducement most likely to act upon such a person's feelings, age, situation, and probable habits of life considered? But how should I be influenced? What would be my inducements to acting so-and-so? I do not understand you. Then we are on very unequal terms, for I understand you perfectly well. Me? Yes, I cannot speak well enough to be unintelligible. Bravo! An excellent satire on modern language. "'But pray tell me what you mean.' "'Shall I indeed? Do you really desire it? "'But you are not aware of the consequences. "'It will involve you in a very cruel embarrassment, "'and certainly bring on a disagreement between us.' "'No, no, it shall not do either. I am not afraid.' "'Well, then, I only meant that your attributing to my brother's wish "'of dancing with Miss Thorpe to good nature alone "'convinced me of your being superior in good nature yourself "'to all the rest of the world.' Catherine blushed and disclaimed, and the gentleman's predictions were verified. There was a something, however, in his words which repaid her for the pain of confusion, and that something occupied her mind so much that she drew back for some time, forgetting to speak or to listen, and almost forgetting where she was, till, roused by the voice of Isabella, she looked up and saw her with Captain Tilney, preparing to give them hands across. Isabella shrugged her shoulders and smiled, the only explanation of this extraordinary change which could at that time be given, but as it was not quite enough for Catherine's comprehension, she spoke her astonishment in very plain terms to her partner. "'I cannot think how it could happen. Isabella was so determined not to dance. And did Isabella never change her mind before? Oh, but because—and your brother! After what you told him from me, how could he think of going to ask her? I cannot take surprise to myself on that head. You bid me be surprised on your friend's account, and therefore I am. But as for my brother, his conduct in this business, I must own, has been no more than I believed him perfectly equal to. The fairness of your friend was an open attraction. Her firmness, you know, could only be understood by yourself. You are laughing, but I assure you, Isabella is very firm in general. It is as much as should be said to anyone. To be always firm must be to be often obstinate. When properly to relax is the trial of judgment, and, without reference to my brother, I really think Miss Thorpe has by no means chosen ill in fixing on the present hour. And so we get a little more commentary on Captain Tilney and Isabella. So Captain Tilney first comes up and makes Catherine a little unhappy because he takes Henry away. And again, the narrator adds in a little bit of this gothic humor, tying it a little bit into the section before where she did the same thing, saying that Catherine did not take immediate alarm and lay it down as fact that Captain Tilney must have some malevolent misrepresentation of her. So she is not automatically jumping to the conclusion that Captain Tilney has come to talk to Henry to tell him some horrible rumor about Catherine and make him never want to see Catherine again. So that is not what is happening. Or she does not jump to that conclusion. But she's still not happy that he's, you know, being taken away. And she's left alone for a full five minutes, which she's beginning to think a very long quarter of an hour. So she thinks she's been standing there by herself for a whole 15 minutes, but it's only been five and... You know, just a little overly dramatic, but Catherine is not happy to be left alone at the dance waiting for Henry to come back to her, especially when she was expecting to get to spend that whole time with Henry himself. So she feels a little deserted. Poor thing. But when they come back, Henry quickly asks her if Miss Thorpe would be wanting to dance and says that Captain Tilney would like an, 
would like to be introduced to her and Catherine just says right away and not trying to play games or anything just saying oh no she said she didn't want to dance and so Captain Tilney just walks off and so she then says to Henry oh, that you know your brother won't really mind I know because I heard him say that he hated dancing but it was very good natured of him to think about it and you know, he must have just seen Isabella sitting there but she doesn't want to dance she she would not dance upon any account in the world. And Henry just smiles at her and says, How very little trouble it can give you to understand the motives of other people's actions. And this is another little place where we're seeing that Henry is kind of calling Catherine out on her naivete. Saying that she is assuming that whatever Captain Tilney is doing have the same motivation she would have if she acted that way. And so she's assuming that other people are reacting the way she does and acting the way she would in some situation. And so he says that you're not thinking about how is such a person like that probably going to act. You're acting how would I be influenced to act that way. And she's confused, says, I do not understand you. And he comes back with, then we are on very unequal terms, for I understand you perfectly well. Which is a great line and very true, because Henry definitely understands Catherine very, very well. We've already seen that she has blatantly made it very clear her preference for him. And she is a very... She's not stupid, but she's also not complicated. <laughs> Um, but her line when she comes back is, Me, yes, I cannot speak well enough to be unintelligible. Uh, which is an excellent satire on modern language. <laughs> uh, which is funny, because the point is that, you know, to speak well, you have to use large words of four and five syllables and complicated sentence structure... And Catherine isn't like that, so she doesn't speak well enough to be that unintelligible. <laughs> Which is just a fun little, I think, humorous relief before she gets back into the topic of, well, but what do you actually mean by what you just said? And he explains it by saying that by her assuming the best motives for Captain Tilney, he takes that to prove that her that Catherine must have the best good nature and have being superior in good nature yourself to all the rest of the world. So the fact that she is assuming all the best on Captain Tilney's side makes Henry think even better of Catherine, which Catherine blushed and disclaimed about, but is secretly very happy that he is giving her that compliment. And she was kind of so stuck on the fact that Henry complimented her like that, that she's, in my opinion, kind of in her little bubble walking on air, loving it, that she doesn't even really notice what's going on until she realizes, as they're doing the dance, that Isabella and Captain Tilney are preparing to give them hands across, which I think just means they're preparing to do a dance step together. If you watch any of the adaptations, the movies, you'll see them do these country dances where they, you know cross hands and walk in a circle or something. So I'm assuming that's what they're doing here. And so Catherine gives Isabella a look like, what are you doing? You said you were not going to dance. What's happening? And Isabella just shrugs and smiles at her. Doesn't give, you know, is not able to give her any explanation during the dance. But as soon as they've gone on and they're not with Isabella and Captain Tilney anymore, she, Catherine turns to Henry and just says, I cannot think how this could happen. Isabella was so determined not to dance. And I think Henry's sort of laughing at her again on the same situation of, you're not, he, it's that same thing that he just said before, where you're not assuming what other people's motivations might be or thinking about what they might be. You're just assuming everyone's motivations are what your motivations would be. So in Catherine's mind, if she was saying she didn't want to dance, it would be because she actually didn't want to dance. She wouldn't be doing it to make herself seem more important or special or something the way Isabella does. And so she doesn't get that Isabella was probably just saying she didn't want to dance to get her to feel sorry for her or to make herself feel important because she just got engaged and 
those sorts of things, that's not on Catherine's mind at all. So it's, again, not understanding that motivations of other people are not the same as your motivations. And he's trying to, again, sort of point that out, I think, here a little bit. By saying, and did Isabella never change her mind before? And her line, she doesn't even know how to say. Oh, but because... And then she stops. Which I mean, which I take to mean that she was about to say, oh, but because of your, you know, because she just got engaged and she, that's why she doesn't want to dance. But then she stops because she can't say that because I don't think the engagement is quite public yet. Or maybe she doesn't want to talk about it. I'm not sure. But that's what I'm assuming she was about to say. Something about the engagement. And then she stops herself. And your brother, after what you told him, how could he go think of going to ask her and he's not at all surprised he says well you told me to be surprised on your friend's behavior and therefore i am which i don't believe him he's laughing at her but as for my brother i think that he's doing exactly what i expected him to do your friend is very pretty which was an open attraction and her firmness you know could only be understand by yourself so again, he's just, I can't say anything about your friend. I don't really know her. I'll just take your word for it. It's about her behavior. But my brother acts like this all the time. She's very pretty. He wanted to dance with her. He wasn't going to take no for an answer. Like, I'm not surprised at his, at his behavior in this at all. And she gets, and she understands at least that he is, that Henry's laughing at her by saying, you are laughing. But I assure you, Isabel is very firm in general. And he just laughingly comes back at her saying that to be always firm is to be often obstinate. And without reference to my brother, I really think Miss Thorpe has by no means chosen ill and fixing on the present hour to not be obstinate. So he's just saying that you can't always be firm. Sometimes you got to, you have to give over and, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to say that you didn't want to dance and then change your mind is what I'm taking from this. That there are worse things to, you know, there are times when you should be obstinate and times when it doesn't matter. And something like this, which to Henry doesn't seem like very, doesn't seem particularly important. And I would agree in general, you know, the idea of her just dancing is not that big, though we will see it grow into something bigger as time goes on. At this moment, I completely agree with Henry that, you know, obstinacy and adhering to something is not obstinacy just to be obstinate is not a virtue is basically what I'm taking this to mean that sticking to your guns on an issue just to stick to it just so that you don't change your mind is not is not virtuous is not helpful is not necessarily good you need a reason behind it and for something as silly as she just didn't feel like dancing and then changing her mind because a handsome man wanted to dance with her not that big a deal and you know, he's basically saying, don't worry about it. It's not, it's not a problem. It's not that big of it. It's not that big of anything. You're blowing it out of proportion. And in this particular instance, I think I would agree with him on that. And I also agree that he already seems to better understand Isabella than Catherine does, even though Catherine and Isabella are supposedly best friends. The friends were not able to get together for any confidential discourse till all the dancing was over. But then, as they walked about the room arm in arm, Isabella thus explained herself, I do not wonder at your surprise. I am really fatigued to death. He is such a rattle. Amusing enough, if my mind had been disengaged, but I would have given the world to sit still. Then why did not you? Oh, my dear, it would have looked so particular, and you know how I abhor doing that. I refused him as long as I possibly could, but he would take no denial. You have no idea how he pressed me. I begged him to excuse me and get some other partner, but no, not he. After aspiring to my hand, there was nobody else in the room he could bear to think of, and it was not that he wanted merely to dance, he wanted to be with me. Oh, such nonsense. I told him he had taken a very unlikely way to prevail upon me, for of all things in the world, I hated fine speeches and compliments. And so, 
and so then I found there would be no peace if I did not stand up. Besides, I thought Mrs. Hughes, who introduced him, might take it ill if I did not. And your dear brother, I am sure he would have been miserable if I had sat down the whole evening. I am so glad it is over. My spirits are quite jaded with listening to his nonsense, and then, being such a smart young fellow, I saw every eye was upon us. He is very handsome indeed. Handsome? Yes, I suppose he may. I dare say people would admire him in general. But he is not at all my style of beauty. I hate a florid complexion and dark eyes in a man. However, he is very well. Amazingly conceited, I am sure. I took him down several times, you know, in my way. So Catherine asks Isabella about this whole dancing situation as well once they're together after the dancing. And Isabella doesn't have much of an explanation. She just says, oh, yes, I was so tired. He's such a rattle, which I think just means talks a lot. Um, and I would have given the world to sit still. And Catherine's like, well, then why didn't you? And Isabella's answer makes absolutely no sense for Isabella's character because she says it would have looked so particular. And you know how I abhor doing that. And I say that that's against her character because I think she loves to be so look particular. Meaning, like, I'm taking that to mean standing out from the crowd to look particular. Um, and I think that Isabella is flat out lying here because she loves to be the center of attention and stand out from the crowd and when she first got engaged that was something that she talked about wanting to be the envy of everyone she knows for you know her great engagement so the idea of not wanting to look particular and how she abhors doing that i do not believe her at all and she's using this as an excuse to kind of talk to Catherine about how desirable she isabella is by saying that he begged or well I begged him to excuse me but he said no there was nobody else in the room he was willing to dance with he only wanted to dance with me and she said that that and she told him that it was no way to prevail on her for she hated fine speeches and compliments another lie out of Isabella she loves fine speeches and compliments you know she does and she decided that there would be no peace if she did not stand up and she, you know, didn't want to embarrass Mrs. Hughes or who she thought might have taken it wrong if she said no, because that, which I think could be seen as a somewhat of an insult, but only if she's just refusing to dance with him. You know, she's allowed to just not want to dance for the evening, but she's making this excuse that I it's kind of made up in my opinion, that it would be an insult to Mrs. Hughes who introduced him. To not, to not dance with him because then I think the implication would be that she doesn't trust Mrs. Hughes with picking out a good partner for her or with her recommendation of Captain Tilney, which is kind of what the introduction is. You're recommending this person. Which I don't, from my understanding of the social mores of the time, I don't think it actually would be unless she was being specific about only not dancing with Henry and willing to dance with other people. But in this particular case, if she was really sticking to what she had said to Catherine at the beginning, where she just wasn't going to dance at all that evening, I don't think it would have read as that kind of insult. I think that would have been okay. So I, I don't really buy her excuses. I think she just changed her mind and there was a handsome man who came up and complimented her and she decided to dance with him. Which I agree with Henry, what he said, where that's not the most surprising thing in the world or the end of the world and not the biggest deal. Even if she is engaged, you know, dancing with another man is not the end of the world and not the biggest thing for this one specific dance. Again, things will change possibly in the future, but from this particular occasion and what happened here, I think that Catherine is sort of blowing it out of proportion in my opinion and making it this huge deal that Isabella changed her mind. But it's also just showing how, again, naive Catherine is. Because she is taking Isabella at her literal word. Isabella said she didn't want to dance. And that she would refuse to dance. And there's no way anybody could talk her into dancing. 
And then she immediately goes off and dances. And that surprises Catherine. She doesn't understand what to do with that information. Because she wouldn't say something like that if she didn't mean it. And so she, as Henry said, just takes everybody's motivations to be the same as hers. And doesn't understand that Isabella was saying that she didn't want to dance just to stand out and be special. Because she just got engaged and so she's a special person who doesn't want to dance tonight because of that engagement and it's a way to stand out until a very handsome new young man comes in and wants to dance with her and then that's a better way to stand out is to go dance with him and Isabella kind of gives herself away saying that he's such a smart young fellow I saw every eye was upon us so she is pointing out that because he's handsome and new and smart, which I think means well-dressed. Everybody was staring at them, and Isabella's trying to say, like, this is a bad thing that was tiring her. I do not believe her. I think she was eating it up. I think she loves to be the center of attention. And Catherine just says, oh, yeah, he's very handsome. And Isabella's sort of like, oh, I guess people, yeah, people would say he was handsome. Um, but he's not my style of beauty and he's so conceited I took him down several times you know in my way I'm like okay Isabella sure you did you know that she was flirting with him the entire time she is not I don't believe her at all I don't believe a word she says um, Catherine I think does because Catherine is so painfully naive but as the reader I don't think we are supposed to really believe anything Isabella says she just changed her mind she wanted to dance she thought he was a nice looking young man she thought he was entertaining she was bored of her being special by not dancing because she just got engaged and so decided that she was bored of sitting on the side of the room with the chaperones and she wanted to dance so she went to dance not anything all of all that crazy in my opinion except for that again Isabella can't just speak clearly and straight she has to talk in circles and say things that are not true and that's just who she is and Catherine still doesn't quite get it When the young ladies next met, they had a far more interesting subject to discuss. James Moreland's second letter was then received, and the kind intentions of his father fully explained. A living, of which Mr. Moreland was himself patron and incumbent, of about four hundred pounds yearly value, was to be resigned to his son as soon as he should be old enough to take it. No trifling deduction from the family income. No meagerly assignment to one of ten children. An estate of at least equal value, moreover, was assured as his future inheritance. James expressed himself on the occasion with becoming gratitude, and the necessity of waiting between two and three years before they could marry. Being, however, unwelcome, no more than he had expected, was borne by him without discontent. Catherine, whose expectations had been as unfixed as her ideas of her father's income, and whose judgment was now entirely led by her brother, felt equally well satisfied, and heartily congratulated Isabella on having everything so pleasantly settled. "'It is very charming indeed,' said Isabella, with a grave face. "'Mr. Moreland has behaved vastly handsome indeed,' said the gentle Mrs. Thorpe, looking anxiously at her daughter. "'I only wish I could do as much. One could not expect more from him, you know. If he finds he can do more by and by, I dare say he will, for I am sure he must be an excellent good-hearted man.' Four hundred is but a small income to begin on, indeed, but your wishes, my dear Isabella, are so moderate. You do not consider how little you ever want, my dear. It is not on my account I wish for more, but I cannot bear to be the means of injuring my dear Moreland, making him sit down upon an income hardly enough to find one in the common necessities of life. For myself it is nothing. I never think of myself. I know you never do, my dear, and you will always find your reward in the affection it makes everybody feel for you. There never was a young woman so beloved as you are by everybody that knows you, and I dare say when Mr. Moreland sees you, my dear child, 
but do not let us distress our dear Catherine by talking of such things. Mr. Morland has behaved so very handsome, you know. I always heard he was a most excellent man, and you know, my dear, we are not to suppose, but what if you had had a suitable fortune, he would have come down with something more, for I'm sure he must be a most liberal-minded man. Nobody can think better of Mr. Morland than I do, I am sure, but everybody has their failing, you know, and everybody has a right to do what they like with their own money. Catherine was hurt by these insinuations. I am very sure, said she, that my father has promised to do as much as he can afford. Isabella recollected herself. As to that, my sweet Catherine, there cannot be a doubt, and you know me well enough to be sure that a much smaller income would satisfy me. It is not the want of more money that makes me, just at present, a little out of spirits. I hate money. And if our union could take place now upon only fifty pounds a year, I should not have a wish unsatisfied. Oh, my Catherine, you have found me out. There's the sting. The long, long, endless two years and a half that are to pass before your brother can hold the living. Yes, yes, my darling Isabella, said Mrs. Thorpe. We perfectly see into your heart. You have no disguise. We perfectly understand the present vexation, and everybody must love you the better for such noble, honest affection. Catherine's uncomfortable feelings began to lessen. She endeavored to believe that the delay of the marriage was the only source of Isabella's regret, and when she saw her at their next interview as cheerful and amiable as ever, endeavored to forget that she had for a minute thought otherwise. James soon followed his letter and was received with the most gratifying kindness. And so we end the chapter with the second letter from James Moreland, which goes into the money aspects of the marriage, of which Isabella had previously said she didn't care anything about, but we clearly find out that, yes, she did care quite a bit about it and is not happy with what she's found out. So James is saying that he's going to get this 400 a year or 400 pounds a year situation where he's also going to be a clergyman. So he's getting one of the a living that his father currently holds. He's going to give it to James. And he's going to get another 400 as his future inheritance, which I assume means when his parents die, or at least when his father dies, he'll get another 400. So he'll have 800 total at that time. And James is very happy about this. Seems great. It is going to be a couple years before they can marry because he's not old enough to take the living yet. Which I think, I'm assuming it's when you're, you reach your majority, which would be 21. And he's at university, so he's maybe 19 if he if it would have to be when he's 21 he's maybe 18 or 19 right now because it'll be two two and a half years before he's old enough if i'm right about it being 21 i think that makes about some sense and so james is happy about this and he, you know he's fine with the waiting the two years he was kind of assuming that that would have to be so he's fine and Catherine really doesn't understand any of this money stuff at all is the implication I get because her ideas have been as unfixed as her ideas of her father's income. So she doesn't have a clue how much her father has. She doesn't know what a good income is or not. She's really unclear on the whole money situation in general. So the fact that James says he's satisfied and it's good, Catherine takes that as gospel basically that, yep, it must be fine. And so she's very happy and congratulates Isabella and Isabella is not able to hide the fact that she is unhappy and Mrs. Thorpe is also she's looking anxiously at her daughter she's trying to keep her from expressing how unhappy she is so they have this conversation back and forth and Miss Moreland or not Miss Moreland Miss Thorpe Isabella Thorpe and Mrs. Thorpe are chatting kind of back and forth about the money, but they're trying to sort of disguise the fact that they are unhappy with the amount of money it is. And Mrs. Thorpe is trying to make Isabella feel better by saying, you know, maybe he'll find he can do more by and by, I dare say he will. You know, that's a very small income. And, you know, if he once he sees you, 
maybe he'll give you more. It's kind of the implication she's doing. But she's also trying not to say that in front of Catherine, which I take to mean that they are saying more of this kind of stuff once Catherine leaves. They're going to be much more free about how unhappy they are with the amount of money that Mr. Moreland is giving them and more free to think about the fact that maybe he could give more, but he's choosing not to. Which is what Isabella is definitely implying by saying that everybody has their failing and everybody has a right to do what they like with their own money. So I take that again to mean that Isabella thinks that the Morelands have more money than they actually do. Which she is getting that information from John. John Thorpe definitely believes that the Morelands have more money than they actually do. He, for some reason, has gotten it into his head that they are rich. And so Isabella thinks that they're rich. And so she was expecting a lot more is what I think happened here. She thinks that the Morelands have a lot of money and that James's father is being miserly and refusing to give money that he actually has because of how poor Isabella is. And that if she had more money, he would give have given James more because he would have thought the marriage more important, basically. I don't think they're right. I think it's very clear that for that John Thorpe has grossly overestimated how much money the Morelands have. And that seems clear from the get-go. I don't know why or how he has come to this misconception, but he seems to believe whatever the hell he wants to believe anyway. So maybe he just started to believe his own lies. So he thinks that they've got all this money and that's what he's told his sister and his mother and they believed him. And so now they're working on the assumption that Mr. Moreland has more money is just refusing to give it to his son, either because she doesn't have enough, probably because she doesn't have any money. And then also they're coming up with this idea that maybe once he sees you and you're, you know, Isabel, if you can go charm Mr. Moreland and he really likes you, then maybe he'll give you more money. But at the same time, she's trying to pretend like money doesn't matter to her. So she's going back and forth with, you know, that, well, everybody has, they're failing and they have the right to do what they want with their own money. But I don't care about money, you know. It doesn't matter to me, but he should have given us more. Is basically the whiny little situation she's going on now. And this offends Catherine. She actually notices that they're doing this, which good for Catherine. She's finally, it's blatant enough that she gets it. She gets what's going on here, that they are not satisfied with the amount of money. And she gets a little offended and says that her father's doing as much as he can. And Isabella notices that she's offended Catherine and she quickly backpedals here and says, Oh, no, 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 it's not about the money. It's the two years thing. I don't want to have to wait two whole years before we get married. That's the sting. And Catherine accepts that. She feels a little bit better that that's what makes Isabella upset is the two years, not the money. And she endeavored to forget that she had for a moment thought otherwise. So she suspects Isabella, but then... Isabella comes up with this reasoning that makes enough sense to Catherine to work for her and she tries to forget that she even doubted her for a minute and then James comes back and he was received with the most gratifying kindness so Catherine thinks she must have been wrong with her interpretation I don't think she was wrong with her interpretation but she was easily convinced to think otherwise and to think better of Isabella than I think Isabella deserved. So they're on a little bit of shaky ground there. It's not very nice. I feel very sorry for poor little James, who probably is just as innocent as Catherine and doesn't know what he's doing or what he's dealing with when it comes to Isabella. And that's how I come out of this chapter feeling. I feel sorry for James. Poor James has got himself engaged to Isabella, who thought he had money when he didn't, and that's why she encouraged him. And that is clearly coming out now that Isabella doesn't particularly like him at all. He j She just thought he had money. 
And I don't think she's going to be very kind to him now that she knows he doesn't. Or at least now that she knows that she isn't getting the money that she still seems to think he has. I'm not clear on what exactly Isabella thinks at this point. I'm, I'm thinking she still thinks the family has money, but the dad is not giving it to James for some reason. So I, I don't know. I think if she ever finds out that they don't have the money she thinks they do, then I think she would be very unkind to James. Um, and so hopefully that comes out before they get married because that would suck for James to find that out after he's already married her that the whole thing was all about this money she thought he had. So I'm just coming out of this feeling very poor James. And that's the end of chapter one. We will be back next time with volume two, chapter two.